His two-bedroom palatial apartment in Chicago is Chris Bashin. Chris, how are you? Hi, Bill. I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, thanks. All right. Uh, before we get into our interview this week, Chris, I need you and I to talk a little bit about a screen. That is, let's do some screen watching. Screen watching? All right. I was outside watching some dear frolic. You don't even care about the outside, do you? All right, excellent. For this episode, we're going to be talking about Star Trek The Next Generation. The best Star Trek, I might add. The best. Okay, great. We're on the same page. I want to make sure. I I appreciate other people who like the OG or DS9. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're not allowed to think Voyager or Enterprise are the best. I I will go to bat for Voyager, but then this episode will be two hours long, so we'll have words sometime about Voyager. But you are not wrong about Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine is amazing. For this, though, this is The Next Generation. Season 5, Episode 6, The Game. Original air date, 10-28, October 28th, 1991. So uh, a friend of mine, um, about two years ago, sent me a website with the 100 best episodes of Star Trek um, across all five series, across everything. So we have, for the course of two years, slowly been working through that list. Um, obviously, the game is not on that list, yes. but I, I, <laughs> I have recently rewatched the game, and I, I'm going to defend this episode a little bit. I've heard a lot of people say that this episode is the worst episode of Star Trek, and upon rewatching it, to be honest, I, I don't think it's that bad. I feel there are some episodes that are actually worse than this, like the episode where Picard's essence gets put into the computer is kind of really dumb. Um, but I saw you, you made a comment that you felt this, that this was like a season one episode. I would, I would not disagree with that. It it is is a step down from everything else that is going on in this season. (laughs) Yeah. For, for those who haven't watched Star Trek, the next generation season one among fans is kind of held like at a lower standard than later seasons. Like they were still kind of finding their footing with the terms of like what the new series would be like, still running like a lot of uh, Gene Roddenberry's older ideas. Mm-hmm. And Wesley Crusher was a big part of those early episodes. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? I want to, I, I feel I should go to bat for Wesley Crusher too. Like, I, 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 I think the problems with Wesley Crusher are not because of Will Wheaton. I actually think Will Wheaton plays him very earnestly and very honestly. You know, he, I feel he has the same problems that, like, Luke Skywalker has. Everyone's like, oh, Luke is really annoying. Well, he's, he's designed to be annoying. He's supposed to be like that. Um, and I think over the course of Next Generation, we do get an interesting evolution for Wesley Crusher. But, I mean, yeah, he's a, he's a kid on the Enterprise with all these adults. So, of course, you know, that's annoying. I felt like at least uh, Luke, like, emotes and, like, he has his – he's moody, but, like, he has his different moods. He does, and and like I think I do think Mark Hamill is a better actor than Will Wheaton. Um, I do feel I do think Will Wheaton plays Wesley very well, but I just think Mark Hamill is a better. So I guess just to get into the plot of this episode, <laughs> Wesley Crusher, played by Will Wheaton, is returning to the Enterprise. He's on break from Starfleet Academy, and when he gets there, there is trouble afoot, or rather, is there play afoot? Question mark. 
I would like I would like to point out this episode starts with Riker on vacation, and Riker is the one who gets addicted to this video game, which totally makes sense. Like if it's gonna happen to anyone, it's gonna be Riker. You know, he's he's probably drunk most of the time. It's like, of course it's Riker. I think it's the first time in recorded history or fictional TV history where a woman in the bedroom in the act of presumably having sex with a man is like, here, let's stop and you play a video game. It's such a weird premise. I There's so many good episodes in this season that this, this really kind of is like, what were they thinking? Um, and I don't know what this episode is about. Like, I remember people being like, this is the episode where it talks about video games being bad, but it's not, it's, it's really like mind control. It's really, I would say it speaks more to addiction than it does video games. I, I, I feel the the video game device in this episode is just the plot conceit because i think what they really wanted to do is talk about addiction but they didn't want to show drugs um so they chose this weird headband device instead yeah so they uh the the alien lady gives Riker this like google glass looking headset thing he starts playing a game and immediately gets like this euphoric look on his face then we cut back to the enterprise where Riker is like basically shoving the headset into people's faces like you gotta try this thing you know watching this episode i i had nightmares of pokemon go because (laughs) that's what pokemon go was like when it came out everyone was playing it everyone was walking around looking at it and meeting up to like catch pokemon and everyone would ask me like have you tried pokemon go oh did you know your house is a is a gym oh my god i've got to come over like i feel i feel star trek wasn't completely off base in, in some respects to gaming with this. It was really, I don't know. I just had a po- Pokemon Go nightmares, people. Pokemon Go nightmares. And it was about as simplistic and rudimentary as a game of Pokemon Go. It was, there is a disc and you put it in a hole. I'm disappointed. I'm really disappointed <laughs> by, was... by the actual game itself. You know, it's like... It's the 24th century, right? Or 25th? It's the 24th century. 24th. It's 2300. Um, and even as a kid... I remember watching this episode and being like, that's what games are going to look like in 200 years? Like, Chrono Trigger looks amazing already, but this is what this is it? This is as far as they get? This looks stupid. Like, as a gamer, I thought the game portrayal was really dumb. Yeah. You know? That would have been the end of the plot right there. Striker is just like, this is boring. <laughs> it takes it off. <laughs> He's like, well, I'm going to go play Mario Brothers. Yeah. yeah, it's not a great episode. No. It's fun, you know? I mean, there's some fun things to it. And it has Ashley Judd playing Ashley Judd. So I was sad about her, by the way. I really liked her character. Yeah, this is one of Ashley Judd's two guest appearances on Star Trek TNG. When's the other one? She was seen in Darmok. She's in Darmok? A much, much better episode. Yeah, that episode's fantastic. Um, Does she have a big part? I think she's just, like, in the background. I didn't actually look to see where she was, like... I was reading a little bit about it. She's not even mentioned by the character's name in the call sheet. Oh, interesting. I, I, I don't know where this is. I mean, this must be pretty early in Ashley Judd's career. Um, yeah, she's 50 now. So, so she would have been like 23 at the time when this episode went to air. That's that's why I'm going to L.A., man, because I want to I wanna hop on that Star Trek chain. There you, you know, go. That's, that's why I'm doing it. Hey, Picard is coming out of retirement. Oh, my for... God. I would love to be on the new Picard show. We're going to... This is your chance. Get in there. Um, I really like the... Uh, what's her name? Robin? Is Robin. Name? I really liked her, and I liked what they were doing with her and with Wesley, and it's a shame that you never really see that ever again. 
Yeah, so kind of running counter to this whole thing where Riker is spreading this addictive game around the ship. Uh, Wesley and Robin are having this budding romance where they're working on some space conference or something in the Phoenix Cluster. Uh, that kind of all takes a backseat about halfway through the episode when the uh, the game thing starts taking over the ship. How did Jordy play the game? Like, seriously. How, how, did, how did... Like, watching the episode, I understood why they deactivated Data. And then I was like, oh, what are they going to do with Jordy? But then Jordy gets addicted. How's Jordy play the game? How does Jordy play the game? They were already fitting in a lot into this 51 <laughs> minutes. They probably just were like, ah, it's fine. He can see it. His visor could pick up the lasers. Oh his, my God. He needs to recalibrate the visor to a different spectrum. <sighs> okay. All right. But yeah, over time, they uh, they figure out like, oh, this game is really bad. And like, it's causing everyone to act weird. And they try and warn Captain Picard, but he's already under their influence. I feel like it's a futuristic episode of Scooby-Doo. Like, they're the <laughs> Scooby gang, and like it's like, ah, everyone on the ship is acting weird, you know? And they and they, I really feel if the line, I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you kids, was in the script, I, I would have applauded the episode. <laughs> 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 yeah, no, I, and... You mentioned like what was what's the goal what's the goal with the game like to capture the entirety of the federation like how seriously it seems like a uniquely powerful tool for this one person to have and it to be so easily replicated cuz like when they get back they're just like oh we'll just make a bunch more so like imagine if someone was like okay i'm going to hang on to my game i like this game mhm or if they because they say it has addictive properties, but you never see the addiction shown in the episode. Like, other than them saying you have to play the game, they like seem to compartmentalize pretty well. So, so the game makes you highly suggestive, and the game uh, spikes your dopamine through the roof. So it's it is almost like a narcotic. I think they say at one point, um, which is like cigarettes or whatever. You know, I I mean I yeah, it's we- it's weak. It's a it's a weak episode, Bill. I can't, I cannot fight that. <laughs> and like no no better fitting episode ending than Data just kind of like did they explain that they repaired Data? Yeah. I, mm-hmm. Okay. They, I, they they explain it. I must yeah. have missed that because like I knew I already read what was going to happen at the end, but then it just looks like Data just like shows up for no reason mm-hmm. and blinks a light at everyone. Yes. And fixes everything. Yes. Instantly. Yes. Um he watching it i was like oh man he's gonna give me a seizure like with this damn blinking light no i i wish the scene where picard plays the game for the first time had been in there they just kind of gloss over it and then suddenly the captain is also playing the game so yeah it's at the end it's a race against time but they're able to repair data who is immune to the effects of the alien game yes he fixes everyone yep and they figure out oh there's this little ship parked outside the enterprise and it's like messing with us let's mm-hmm. capture it <laughs> yes yeah i mean they they get the villain really quickly they get the villain really easily i mean this is a season that is this season three or four do you happen to season have... five season five okay so we've had the borg at this point we've had the klingon war at this point and now we got this game i mean come on guys come on guys what are you doing come right on. yeah seriously yeah yeah and uh, yeah, that's pretty much where the episode ends. Like uh, Wesley and Robin uh, kiss and then say goodbye. And so I, get, I read about this a little online. There were there was rumor that in Star Trek Nemesis they were going to have a scene 
at a uh, Riker and Troy's wedding mm-hmm. where Wesley and Robin would be part of the uh, hmm. part of the you know celebration. Yeah. yeah. And I guess Wesley does show up in a deleted scene, but yes. I don't think Ashley Judd is there at all. I think she was too expensive at this point. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Um, yeah, and oh man, I just had a thought and I totally lost it. Oh, it's gone. I don't know. Oh, uh, the, so the episode, I don't know if you got this, if you if you had this impression, but the episode really smacks of they wrote the Robin and Wesley stuff first, and then they were like, well, we only have 20 minutes so far. We need like something for them to do, and that's where the game idea came from. You know, because the episode's really about Robin and Wesley. Everything else is just kind of the B-plot, even though it's the main problem. Um, and it just kind of really smacks of that to me, you know? Yeah, it, it's, it feels like it, it, there's so many things going on, mm-hmm. and none of them get all the time that they probably are entitled to. Like, it feels like the romance between Robin and Wesley I, should be its own whole episode. Yeah, And the yeah. game thing should be its whole own episode. I could see a good implementation of the game where it's like at first you see the ship like running normally Mm -hmm. and then like over time you see stuff like kind of fall into disrepair or Mm -hmm. people are like not at their posts and then you see people walking around with the headsets on gradually more and more have the headsets on all the time but in the end like the way they handle it is with like a sledgehammer it i wasn't you know at at first it was like pretty cool because like the first Riker is just like hey jordy you should try the game and he's like no (laughs) and then he goes to deanna and then she tries the game, and then gradually you see it like mm-hmm. snowball. But yeah. I was appreciative of like the pacing they were going at at first. Yeah, I, I appreciated that too. Um, yeah, it's 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 just a it's just a weak problem for Wesley, <clears throat> and to a lesser extent Robin to solve. Like I feel there's there's a lot of other episodes where they take Wesley and put him into a situation that he has to help out with that are way more successful. The one that really jumps to my mind is when he's with the captain. Mm in a shuttlecraft and they crash on a planet and the captain is injured and Wesley kind of has to take care of him. Like that's a really cool idea. They didn't, they didn't need to like fabricate this weird mind controlling video game thing. I don't know. It's just, it's a weird episode guys. It's a weird episode. So let's get into rating it then. Uh, okay. Just uh, as always with these, we rate the episodes or films on three different categories, accuracy, condescension, and entertainment. And just like with a normal video game, you rate it on a scale of six to ten. Accuracy. Condescension. Condescension. And entertainment. Entertainment. Okay. What Can you, can you elaborate on condescension for me? Yeah. So let's just start with condescension. Then. Okay, great. So uh, if you found the episode very condescending towards video games, you should give it a six. If you felt it was not condescending at all, give it a ten. Well, I... I think the video, I think the I think the episode's really about drugs in a weird way, even though it doesn't go that direction. So, as far as like in its effort to portray video games, it's way off the mark. I feel well, but then I, you know, Pokemon Go. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm gonna put it right in the middle. So six is that six out of ten? Six so out of ten. An eight. An eight. Let's do it. I'll give it a six point five. I feel that Riker didn't like turn up his nose at trying a video game. Mm-hmm. But other than that. Like, video games are treated as, like, this thing that are that's, like, uh, it is, like, a drug. Yeah, it's, like, part of the time they were trying to show they were addictive and dangerous, and then, like, oh, they make you highly suggestive. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't really uh, into that portrayal. Not, not even alcohol. Like, wh- use alcohol. I don't know. It, 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 yeah, yeah. 
In Star Trek, they don't have alcohol, right? They have, like, things that taste like alcohol? They have synthahol, but on many occasions, they drink. They do drink real alcohol because then they make a comment that, oh, this isn't synthahol, this is the real stuff, and ah. people get hungover and stuff. The big one being Romulan Ale, that's apparently illegal to have because it's <laughs> such a great wine or whatnot. Gotcha. So, love to try it. Okay, so that that's condescension. Then there's accuracy. So if you found this was very accurate to video games, give it a 10. If you found it was very inaccurate, give it a 6. I'm going to give it an 8.5 because I live in a post-Pokemon Go world, and I, I really did have reoccurring nightmares of Pokemon Go while I watched this episode. Okay. All right. <laughs> I, I would give it a, a 7 because I found that the idea of like the augmented reality it shows off mm. we are actually reasonably close to that we are but i don't think anyone would ever play this game like no. we, we kind of mentioned that earlier but this is not an entertaining game no like i guess it sort of tricks you like it messes with your brain but still right. yeah no i mean y you know like tron looks more interesting than this game um i mean we live we're this is 2018 and we have arkham vr you know batman vr which is fantastic and this is the 24th century. I mean, come on. I guess the the issue there is like, well, in the 24th century, you could create like some really cool uh, RPG type game where everyone thinks they're a knight and they wear it on their head. But then you just created the holodeck. I, I was that, th this is the big problem with using this device is this is a world that has the holodeck, which is which is a which is. It's the best fantastic. video game of all time. It's the best video game. In fact, they do a really great episode on holodeck addiction. And, like, people's, like, personas and, like, creating someone artificially in the holodeck and changing how they behave and act. Like, they explore this in such a more interesting way in a different episode with Barkley. Um, so it's, it's yeah, it's it's weak. In the, in the world of Star Trek where you have the holodeck, this game would not sell. <laughs> <laughs> and then lastly, entertainment. So if you found the episode very entertaining, give it a 10. If you found it not entertaining whatsoever give it a six i'm gonna give it an eight i was entertained i mean I, like i said there's far worse episodes of star trek there are far better episodes so I, i'll give it an eight i gotta give it a six that's <laughs> totally fine i was not aware it was considered this episode was considered one of the worst episodes of all time by some fans mm -hmm. i just when i was putting together a google doc of like things we could do for the screen watching segment i remembered Oh, yeah. Like, I was flipping through the channels, and one time I saw they were playing a video game on Star Trek, or they had some video game thing. Maybe we can do that episode. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when I watched this episode, I was like, oh, boy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, lots going on. It's all kind of a mess. And, uh, yeah, none of it really seemed good. Yeah. Especially for the season that it's in. This is a really great season. And, again, post-Borg, we're doing a lot of Klingon, cool Klingon stuff at this point. So, come on. Come on, writing team. Yep. Okay, uh, Chris, that ends our screen-watching segment. Woohoo! Before we move on to our interview, there is one matter I have to handle, Ooh. and that is Bill's Magic Minute. I will watch you. Okay, but I will need your assistance as well because I need you to keep time for me. All right. Let me get to my little handy-dandy clock here. So you have one minute. Is that correct? Well, we, we have a little bit of a change here. Okay. What I have to do here... Chris, is I'm going to roll three D20. Okay. And that is how much time I will have to talk about the topic. This week's topic is going to be my modern testing for Grand Prix Detroit. I'm using Wizards of the Coast's online dice roller here. So I'm going to roll three D20. 
and I get a score of 24. So I have 24 seconds to talk about my modern testing. Are you ready? I'm ready. And begin. For about a month, I thought I was going to be playing Ironworks at the upcoming Grand Prix Detroit for Team Modern, but I've realized very close to the end here that I don't know how to play this deck. It is very complicated, and also it's got some difficult matchups against a lot of the hate cards in the environment. I've been switching over to Hardened Scales Affinity, gonna give that a try. I played my first game and got a turn three kill, so. That's 24 seconds. Okay. That's all the time I get. Oh. No explanation, no context given. Dang. That's all the magic we get in this podcast. Damn. It's rough. It is super rough. And at this point, Chris, I'm going to toss it over to our interview for this week. Ooh. We are live here at BitBash. It's about past the halfway point in the evening uh, i've gotten a gotten a chance to check out some of the games and i'm here now with with rob Locke from bitbash hey yeah i'm rob i'm uh i don't actually know what my title is sometimes i'm i'm sort of the lead curator i sort of help pick all the games but i work as like an artistic director um depends on who i'm talking to really <laughs> um but yeah i sort of uh control sort of what games get put out and sort of the vision behind that well, that's just perfect because that is what I was hoping to find out uh, for tonight is like, just basically how are the games selected for Bitbash? Like, there's definitely a theme going on here this evening, so I wanted to find out more about that. Yeah, so um, when we first started this, we knew we wanted to go towards more like a curatorial style uh, of our events where, you know, we try to aim for a theme or we're trying to, like, we, there's, there's an agenda behind all of our events, like a... Uh, like at this event in particular, um, we're in sort of this fabrication space, so it, it was really easy to come come to. It really easily came to us that we wanted sort of to create an event, and we've always wanted to create this sort of event where we show off a ton of like hardware-based games, alternative controller stuff, stuff that's like fabricated, or there are games that are from like laser-cut balsa wood, and there are games that are created by people who created their own controllers, and sort of it, it creates like a whole new experience. Um, and sort of those types of games you can't really play at home because um, there's no way you can actually, you know, someone quickly prototyped, you know, like there's fish controllers. You can't do that at home. <laughs> um, so, like, it, it really creates, like, a special event and sort of creates, like, a nice communal experience where everything's, everyone's sort of experiencing everything for the first time and sharing in that. Um, that's, like, a magic that sometimes is hard to, that doesn't exist as much in games as in other mediums, but... You know, an event like this, it really creates that. Um, so behind every event, we sort of try to um, either aim for a group of sort of ideas or for like our smaller events, we sort of surround them around a single idea. Um, so it's all curated. Like we don't have like a, we don't have like a submission process. We, we just we have like our ear to the ground of what's happening. Um, people do submit stuff and we're like, okay, great. We'll, we'll, we'll put this on our list of stuff to look at. Um, and we sort of tag it up, like this is a game that's good for this, this, and this. So every time the event is approaching, we're thinking about what we're going to do. Um, we go back through our back catalog, and it's like kind of ridiculously massive at this point. So it crashes Google Sheets. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, like, and then we just go through that list and sort of start, start selecting things that they breach a couple of criteria that sort of we figured out make these events really good. 
Now, do you have like a preferred or likely source for some of these uh, finds you have? Is it like Twitter, HIO, or it is like word of mouth? I mean, that's sort of like the magic behind being like a curator in general is sort of figuring out where where those those sources are. Like um, like I have, I'm on the mailing list of like art schools in Europe that, you know, they have like a little list of here's what the recent graduates made. Um, and that's sort of like how I found gays even. Like, and, then, and then they were like at MAs and they were at, I think they were at Indiecade. So like they, they've, they've done their rounds. Um, and we look at what other events are doing. Like we don't really care about being sort of like the latest and greatest because I think most of our crowd, maybe the majority of our crowd, never played any of these games anyway. Um, so it doesn't matter if it's like the latest release or the new hot indie game. Um, they haven't played any indie games. So if you, if you if you show them like something good that's been made, you know, a couple of years before, um, it, it's still a new experience for them. And like developers, like and like designers and artists, they all they're always sort of like stressed about that initial release and if anyone's going to care about this. So even like going through the back catalog, it, it reinvigorates them. They're like, oh yeah, I will. I totally stopped working on this because no one really cared, but you, you guys showed it at this event. I got a ton of great feedback. Um, so, like, stepping away sort of from how traditional events do it, um, sort of, it has all these, like, interesting benefits that we're bringing to these events. I can still remember from even a couple years back, it was the Choose-A-Tron. Yeah, yeah. And, like, uh, I believe I saw the, the creator on Twitter. He's like, well, I've kind of set this project aside, but it still kind of blew me away how much people cared about it at Bitbash. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I originally saw that in, I was at Fantastic Arcade in Austin, Texas, and I saw it there originally. Um, and then I started messaging the developer and be like, hey, um, do you want to show this at, we're throwing an event in Chicago. We, th- we actually showed that at our first Bit Bash, and then we showed a different game he made at our second sort of festival. Um, and then he brought the Choose a Trunk, and like, he might as well, you know, he put new stories on it, so it's still a fresh experience, even if you experienced it before. Because sort of the, if you don't know what the Choose a Tron is, it's like a play-your-own-adventure game where... Um, it's like you a have, credit it, card machine, right? It's, it has a receipt printer that prints out your choices, and you have like four buttons. So as you play it, you know, you're like, uh, you come up to a door, what do you do? And, you know, and it prints out the four choices, and you press like three, and then it keeps printing out. So every time you play it, you can like, once you die or once you succeed, you can just rip off your receipt, and you have a little story of how you played. It's a brilliant idea. Um, but he keeps changing what those stories are, and he has different writers come in, guest writers, to change those stories up. So, like, it's still a fresh experience. So we're like, yeah, bring it up, of course. Like, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's always good. <laughs> like, we have never had a bad experience with it. Um, and everyone loves it. So, like, it's, yeah, definitely bring it. And so we, like, we he, he, now he's, like, sort of still working on it. He's still reinvigorating it. Um, he's still putting new stories on it. He busts out the machine from time to time. He's like, hey, I got a, I got new, a new set. You know, let's, let's check them out. And it's always great. You know. The other main question I had was, uh, Bitbash has taken on a lot of different sizes and scopes, uh, depending on the event and the event space. Uh, do you see the, the event continuing to be nimble going forward in the future? I mean, like, all our events are unique and... Um, depending on what we're trying to do, the scope changes, and that, that's just part of it. Like, the, like this event would not work, like in, in the same scope of our, our like our larger festivals. You know, we, we, there's not even that many alternative control games that we can fit. Not to mention the logistics of it. So, sort of as as uh, depending, like it's like all our events are just interesting, and and we're always looking to 
change that up every time. Like we're not really set in our ways. Like we don't have a, a particular formula. Like we know what makes something good and know what doesn't. And we've sort of learned enough to start building like sort of like a playbook for it. But like it's 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 not still set. We're still sort of figuring out a lot of stuff. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't like I I don't know what the future holds. Um, like I, I don't think it's going to. Yeah, I don't know. Would you ever rule out taking the the event or the festival outside of the Chicago area? Um, that's an idea that like we've been throwing around, touring it. I mean, like this, there is a thing where we're proud of like being from Chicago, and um, and Chicago really needs like something like this. And I think, um, I think this like this is our our home, and we like it being here. Um, there is like if we do move it out, then there is that risk that. You know, we won't pay as much attention to like our like our, our core event and and stuff like that. So, very apprehensive about any of those ideas. Um, I mean, we've thought about it, but I don't like it's. I mean, I'm not ruling anything out, but I mean, it's 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 an idea, but we're we're definitely a Chicago event. Like it's bitbashchicago.com. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Like, <laughs> like uh, <laughs> that. that I don't know what the future holds. I can't really pin down. Like we're always like changing, and maybe like all of a sudden, you know, this is in, in the middle of nowhere. Like we go put this event off in the field, so maybe it doesn't make as much sense to be a Chicago, called a Chicago event. But I mean, let's we don't really want to lock our, lock ourselves down to what we're doing. But we definitely we definitely are Chicago at heart. Like even this event, we. Like most of these games came from Chicago-based or Midwestern developers. Like we had a couple from, from like France and actually I think all of our foreign games. We have some from other places, but like uh, we try to like spur up with the with what's happening in the Midwest. And actually, like the alternative controller scene is sort of like becoming Midwest-based. Even like Jerry, who made the Chusatron, is like sort of like a. I think teaching. I forget where he's at now, but he's he's Midwestern based. Now he's from Minnesota, or I think so. I, I keep forgetting, but like, <laughs> um, but yeah, they're like all, all all these people are sort of like coalescing around this area. So, I mean, and so we created a venue for them to show off their work because they're like, how how else are they going to do it other than just going to like invent them to their workshop, like invite people to their workshop? It's it's a it's important to have places like this for this stuff. And then, uh, Rob, if you want people to uh, keep up to date on updates on where you guys are going next, where can they find you? Um, I mean, we have a mailing list that you can sign up through through our website. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter. Everything is Bitbash Chicago. So, like, it's if you find us on Twitter, um, you can follow us there. We, you know, like, we're not too spammy. We're always just throwing gifts of cool games up there or talking about our event. And then, uh, like, our, our newsletter is, like, it's... That, that's where we announce most of our like what's happening next and to save the dates and all that. So, and if, if you want to just be in touch, with, like keep keep track of what we're up to, I'd say that'd be the easiest way to do it. Um, yeah. All right, awesome. Thank you for your time. And we are back from our interview for this week hey chris hey hi bill uh what you playing 
so uh, I am moving in a couple weeks uh, across the United States. So <gasps> I know, so far away. Um, so I've been cleaning up and cleaning things out. And I was digging through my old games drawer, trying to decide what I want to sell and whatnot. And I came across an uh, old game that I haven't played in a while that I decided to play called Lunar The Silver Star Story Complete, which is the PlayStation version of Lunar The Silver Star. So have you ever played this? I haven't. I remember looking at some uh, still images in a Sega Visions magazine mm -hmm. in the early 90s mm -hmm. for the Sega CD version. That's about yep. all I know about Lunar. Um, it's a JRPG. Um, it doesn't really do anything super fancy, to be honest. Uh, it just tells a really good story. It tells a very fun story really well. It's very well translated. Um, and the battle system and, and the game itself are just a lot of fun. So, um, yeah, I really love it. I played the Sega CD version, which was way harder. Um, so I would definitely, if anyone is thinking of playing the game, to find the PlayStation version because it's way better. Um, but it and its sequel, Lunar Eternal Blue, are both fantastic. So that's why I've been playing. Awesome. And yeah. I think the it's tough because probably the Sega CD version is easier to get your hands on. I think they're both pretty expensive these days. You know, I still have my Sega CD version because I still have my Sega CD. I don't know if my Sega CD still works, um, but obviously I have a PS3, which plays PS1 games, and I have a lot of my PS1 games. Um, so it's been really great. Um, I really like the game. I don't think it's... I think you're right. I think it's kind of hard to come by now. I don't think even the PlayStation version is on PSN, which is a shame because it should be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, as everybody knows, um, Nintendo is on a uh, piracy hunt right now. So a lot of emulation sites have shut down, which I would argue is not a good thing. Um, but I understand why it's happening. Uh, so finding the game may be kind of hard right now. Yeah. In my limited experience, emulating like anything from the PS1 or beyond requires a bit more finesse than i want to deal with you're not wrong yeah um i i have i have actually played the game on an emulator before just because i could um and it it is not as easy as as some of the older emulators for like the nes or snes or genesis um i even have a sega cd emulator that i finally got working and it works really well um but you're right like you have to go find the bios which is technically also illegal and all this stuff so it's it, it's a hassle it's a shame it, there should be more games on PSN, I guess is what I'm saying. So Really, yeah. I mean, the primary library for those old games is like Sony developed and or published games, and then like Capcom is pretty good. Like they got Mega Man Legends 1 and 2 on PSN. They got mm -hmm. the Adventures of Tron Bone yeah. on there. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Tron Bone, I think. Tron, Tron Bone, yep. Uh, I have a hypothetical question for you, though. All right. So since we're talking about emulation and the PlayStation, there was a rumor, and I think it is, is gone now, uh, after the SNES Classic came out that Sony was considering a PlayStation Mini or Classic, um, which I thought was a very interesting idea. What games do you think should be on that if uh, that were to ever be a reality, which I don't think it will be, but, you know, who knows? I, I think you're right that it won't happen, and I think it's difficult because... There's just not the same legacy of easily identifiable characters for the PS1 as there are for the Nintendo systems. Mm -hmm. I think if you wanted to do it, 
like you would probably put Crash in there, even mm-hmm. though Crash already has like a beautiful HD remake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Spyro. Crash, uh, Spyro, yep. Gran, Tur- or, uh, Gran Turismo actually is a huge, people love Gran Turismo. Um, Twisted Metal. Yep, yeah, mm-hmm. I would be in for that. Then you probably put in like Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, you get one Square game, so <laughs> it's probably Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> It'll be Final Fantasy VII and like Chrono Cross, knowing how SquareSoft works nowadays. Right, right. And then it's tough because yeah, like the a lot of the uh, de- depth or the quality of the library is those JRPGs, which mm-hmm. I don't know if you could like stack a PS One classic with like even five RPGs. Yeah, I mean, all those games were. They're not small, so I I don't know. I mean, I feel the PS1 was known for JRPGs and known for um, racing and sports games. I think were kind of maybe the big three genres that really pushed it. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what... If, if they were to do it, I don't know what they would put on it. But um, like this whole Nintendo piracy thing, um, I was just reading the other day. There are... There are... What did it say? About 700 games made for the nes just the nes um and while like i personally have no desire to play all those games i think it is kind of important to in some form uh protect some of those titles and legacies just as just as a you know cultural preservation uh so i'm kind of a little bit dismayed to see the nintendo going after so many rom sites um and to link that back to like lunar like i think lunar is a fantastic game good luck trying to play it yeah. you know you can play final fantasy 7 very easily in like six different ways but there i you know the same problem with the playstation there's tons of great playstation games that are going to be lost if something's not done i'm gonna offer a i think hot take maybe more of a lukewarm take sure that pretty much every video game that's more than five years old uh is bad and like you shouldn't oh. play them oh i like, disagree so you think like the mario brothers 3 is a bad game if you were trying to play it through the lens of a person who had never played mario brothers 3 who had no attachment to the game when it originally came out like could you really offer mario brothers 3 compared to like a, a modern 2d platformer or, or like even just like a a shovel knight or something like that and say hey this game is definitely better so what you're arguing is within each genre, there is one game that is the best of pinnacle of that genre. I'm arguing that you should preserve old games and you should enjoy them for history's sake mm-hmm. and for nostalgia's sake. But if you're trying to come at them from the point of you need to go back and play this game because it's entertaining, then most of the time you will be much better served by finding a modern equivalent and playing that instead. I disagree, but I can't really formulate a good counter-argument right now, but I disagree with you. Mm. <laughs> but that's an interesting point of view. So um, so what do you think is the best JRPG since you have to take Final Fantasy Tactics and 7 off the table? <laughs> and 8, and 9, and 10? <laughs> well, uh, let's see. I, I think uh, Persona 4 Golden is really good. Hmm. Is that over five years? It is. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it came out, came out in like 2008. I was like, that's been around a while, hasn't it? Uh, I would have to think a little bit more about like more recent uh, JRPGs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, like in this discussion of like old games, obviously I have a child. I have a, I am a new parent, and uh, I hope that she gets into gaming. Um, if she doesn't, that's fine. But I have always kind of been, you know, I've always, 
I don't know if you've done this, but I've definitely thought like, oh, if I have a kid, I wonder what game I would love for them to play. Or, you know, like, what order do I show them the Star Wars movies in? Like, these are the pa- these are the parenting questions I deal with. Not, I hope they go to college. <laughs> but, you know, nerd priorities. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess I could be projecting a little bit because I feel like many times now I've gone back and tried to play old games and just like, ah, there's like too much kludge or like the things mm-hmm. that made them good have been done so many times elsewhere and improved upon the thing that made them special at the time is no longer unique i don't know i don't know if i i i don't know if i agree with that i i think i think like game design has for sure evolved i think there's certain aspects of game design that that just can't really be improved upon um like, like the NES Classic, for example, or like to bring up what I mentioned a moment ago, like 700 NES games, I actually really think there's only like 20 really good NES games. Like really good. I mean, like worth your time. Well, like and 20 at the time or 20 now? 20 now. Okay. You know? I'd probably um, go even lower. but I, I, Sure. Yeah. Um, the other 680 games, you know, you will maybe appreciate or maybe not or most likely not. But I think like the 20 or whatever number you have, uh, I think almost anyone could appreciate and play. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I think when you get it into the lens of more modern day stuff, I think you kind of risk, I don't know, running a disservice to yourself. Um, Mainly, I like with JRPGs, the storytelling, I would argue, is something that hasn't necessarily gotten better or worse like there are mechanics in video games that are much better now in jrpgs but i still think final fantasy 7 or 6 have really great stories or chrono trigger yeah you know so even though mechanics are better elsewhere those stories i would still argue are worth very much experiencing i don't know yeah that could be a whole that's a whole that's a whole another episode so yeah And, and just again to say like preserve those games mm-hmm. if you like those games you are still valid for liking those games so do you have an nes classic i do why yeah i think it's an interesting toy to keep on my shelf do you play old games sometimes what's one game that you that what's an old game that you play regularly like maybe once or tw- you know every year or two or whatever like some, something you go back to pretty regularly streets of rage 2 you know, I just recently played that for the first time. <laughs> uh, Why Streets of Rage 2? It's, it's amazing soundtrack, by the way. Yeah, uh, I feel like it's something I can get into really quickly mm-hmm. without a lot of uh, builds, and I understand it right away. And it's a very short experience on its own, so I can pick it up and put it down and then kind of not feel bad if I don't come back to it. Mm-hmm. And it's it's fun beating people up. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like to play it with someone? Yeah. Oh, okay. Like I have it on my 3DS. If I'm, if oh, I, cool. like in the past, if I've traveled, mm-hmm. I'll just boot that up. If I got yeah. nothing else to play, that's funny. <laughs> See, there's a Streets of Rage four coming. I did, yes. Dot Emu, I think, is working on that. You excited? I will. You know, we'll see how it goes. Okay. All right. All right. Fair enough. Because you have to evolve the game. I think. Mm-hmm. And, Do you like Streets of Rage three? I mean, I, I played it a little bit when I was a kid. It's got, it's got a kangaroo. <laughs> that's true. It does have a kangaroo. In it. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Yeah, just like two is the one that stuck with me. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I, I did like uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World, but that's kind of that's a beat 'em up, but uh, mm-hmm. a different kind of beat 'em up. Yeah, more of a River City Ransom, if you will. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. 
So yeah, uh, as far as games I have been playing myself lately, mm. I have been playing Donut County on my phone. Yeah, so how is that? Donut County is really good. Okay. It is kind of a, I call it a reverse Katamari Damacy, hmm. in that you have a hole in the ground that you control, and you are getting things to, you move the hole around, you get things to fall into the hole, the hole gets bigger, and then you can swallow up bigger and bigger things as you go. Usually, each level has, like, a puzzle to it where, like, you have to swallow things in a certain order or, like, you can use a catapult to bounce things out of the hole and cause certain events to happen. Mm -hmm. Like, the most basic one that I remember from, like, the second level is you can swallow a fire in the hole. Mm -hmm. And then you put the the fire under a hot air balloon, Mm -hmm. which is tied down to the ground with posts. And the fire causes the hot air balloon to rise up and rip the post out of the ground, causing damage. And then you can knock a bunch of other stuff into the hole. It's a mobile game? This is, it's on PS4. Okay. And it's on uh, mobile, yeah. And on PC. Yeah, yeah. Uh, The only thing I would say against it is it is rather short. I think I got through the whole thing in like two hours. How much is it? It, uh, For for phone, it's five bucks. Oh, okay. Well, uh, two hours, five bucks, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I... I'm totally okay with that. It yeah. is like 15 bucks on PS4, which Ew. that might be a little tougher to swallow, but yeah. I still, I think personally I would still enjoy that. Like a, you can knock it out in one night basically. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, you know, I don't like it when a game is like 80 hours long. <laughs> you know, I, I, I like it when they are, when they don't overstay their welcome, you know? Yeah, I agree completely. Yeah. Too many games rely on padding and they always have. Mm-hmm. So a game that says what it has to say and, gets out gets out yeah yeah that's very valued i uh recall that most strongly with resident evil 4 (laughs) i was like this game is great but i think i'm done playing it and then the game ended and i was like perfect yes good work team resident evil 4 what a great game i need to go back and play that one because i already know it and love it even though it's been uh iterated on and improved in the intervening years i wouldn't say resident evil 5 was an improvement the gameplay, in some ways, yeah. I mean, uh, but the game itself is just so. Well, like, yeah, there are some issues with that game. Yeah, but Resident Evil Four is great. Go play yes. it if you've not played it, and yes. get ready to hear. Help me, Leon. Save me, Leon. You can tell her to go hide in the dumpster. She's fine. You can. You can <laughs> go hide in the dumpster. Oh, Leon. But yeah, that is pretty much what I've been playing. Nice. Uh, I mean, I've been picking up a couple other games here and there, like going back to some games I played before. But that's the new game I got into recently have you played the messenger funny you should mention that i played the messenger at pax east this year Ooh, how was it um i think it is good i think it is well made i did not feel the need to play any more of it interesting okay but it is very reminiscent of ninja gaiden yeah i mean you can see from that look Mm -hmm. and then there is a mechanic where partway through you change the Mm -hmm. nature of the levels from like 8-bit to 16-bit yeah yeah which is pretty neat. Did you get to that point? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so got to see a little bit of that, and the music tracks change, and the mm-hmm. graphics change. It's it's a cool idea. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I just, yeah, I, 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 it didn't grab me. Interesting. Okay. Do you like Shovel Knight? I do like Shovel Knight. Okay. But maybe, maybe, having played Shovel Knight, I do not need to uh, repeat the experience. Interesting. Sure, sure, sure. Sure. I we'll still see. disagree with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I think it's a pretty well-made game. There is like a kind of a dumb 
joke about there's like a, a, a trans joke that's not that great at the start really yeah like, oh man i feel like, that you say it was at pax no i, I didn't see it at pax i saw oh, okay. it like i was watching a let's play of the first 15 minutes or so of the game okay and it's like it says like did you assume my banter it's like uh game come on that's uh, not good it's not gonna fly yeah okay I, well all right, so yeah, that that is uh, what I've been up to lately. Cool. So I think that brings this episode of So Many Bits to a Close. Hey, Chris, Ooh, yeah. if you want people to find you either electronically or in person, and let's emphasize in person, you might be changing locations, so maybe <laughs> we should update well, that. Well, in person, uh, I live in Chicago, but in very... Monday. So in like a week and a half from the airing of this episode, I will be driving across the United States to California with my wife, my baby, and my two cats. So... Uh, I will be in Los Angeles starting in October, um, but online you can find me many places. You can find you can watch our web series, the Studio Web Series, uh, at the studiowebseries.com. You can also follow my podcast, the Nerd Outcast Podcast. Uh, we just recently did our 100th episode. Hopefully, by the time you are hearing this, that episode will be out. Uh, it was 20 something people on 10 different mics, so it's a real pain to edit. Uh, but it's slowly coming together. And Bill, you were on there. I was. Um, we talked about everything from Ninja Turtles to Star Wars to James Bond. So it's it's kind of a celebration of many nerdy things. Um, so give that a listen and then go actually listen to the show because I've got tons of fun episodes. So, yeah. Awesome. And as for us, we can be reached by email at so many bits podcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. We're so many bits on there. Follow us on Twitter and Tumblr at so many bits. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Please rate and review or download from Spreaker, from SoundCloud, from YouTube, from Spotify. We play games, twitch.tv slash so many bits. I'm on there Wednesdays and Thursdays, 8 p.m. Central Time. Uh, Wednesdays usually for Magic the Gathering Online. Thursdays for more of a potpourri of different games. Recently, we finished up playing Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law. Other games I've played on there are Mega Man X4, Cuphead, Prey, the Mooncrash DLC, Super Mario Odyssey, a bunch of different stuff. Last but not least, thank you so much for listening to this episode, and have a great week.